Wednesday, July 25, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. As many of you probably saw on the news, Robert Wilkie has been confirmed by the Senate. We are simply waiting for his swearing in, and then he will take the helm as Secretary of Veterans Affairs. So we patiently await for his official swearing in, but uh, excited to uh, work with him and get things moving along here at VA. No other news or other events to mention. We'll get right into our interview. I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with Medal of Honor recipient Benny Adkins. Benny's an Army veteran who served during the Vietnam War, and his Medal of Honor citation reads better than most war films do, uh, as far as the amount of action that are that is involved. He was in town to attend Major League Baseball's All Star Game and to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of a media tour for his new book, A Tiger Among Us. I'm not even going to begin to summarize his service. I'll let him tell that story for you. Here's Medal of Honor recipient Benny Adkins. Enjoy. There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Well, sir, I do appreciate your time uh, sitting here Thank talking you. to us. Um, um, it's, uh, you know, it's important that we, um, we share our experiences both from inside the military and post-military. Right. Um, we're going to start with, um, with your initial joining of the military. You were, you were drafted uh, shortly after dropping out of college, is that right? That is correct. I, I was in college and uh, I was a little more interested in the girls than I was in academics, so I wasn't doing real well and uh, I dropped out of college and uh, what I didn't know at that time frame, if you dropped out of college you went immediately to the draft. So uh, I was not in, unemployed uh, long and uh, become was drafted into the military and uh, the military decided that I should become a clerk typist. Well there's not a thing wrong with being clerk typist however that didn't quite fit my needs so uh, after a short period of time I uh, decided to uh, go with infantry and uh, then with the infantry that didn't quite take care of the needs. And I heard of an organization called uh, Special Forces. So I volunteered uh, to, to uh, be a Special Forces member, you had to be a triple volunteer. You had to volunteer for the military, you had to volunteer to be a paratrooper, and you had to volunteer for the Special Forces. And uh, I did this, and after about a year and a half uh, to close to two years of very extensive training, not only academic and, and physical. They, I was uh, fortunate enough at that time period to uh, become Special Forces qualified, and uh, I was 
one of uh, uh, 3% that made it through the class that I started with. And like I said, to do that, I was, I uh, just had too much pride to quit. So, so of the of the one percent of our nation that has served our country, you met the the three percent beneath that to uh, to become special forces. That's correct. Yes. So you you said that uh, you know, being originally joining the army didn't quite fill your needs. Being infantry didn't quite fill your needs. What what needs were you trying to fill? What I I think uh, I think the needs that I was really wanting to, uh, was to be a little more physical. Yes. And, you, and, and uh, yes, and uh, really uh, one of those where you get your hands dirty and, uh, and uh, uh, you don't have to trim your fingernails and this type of thing like you did as a clerk typist. <laughs> uh, and you obviously got your hands dirty in the Special Forces. Did, did, did it finally fill your needs? Did it did. Okay. It did. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough in uh, in uh, the period of time that I was in the military that uh, I uh, traveled in the country and I was signed uh, at uh, various countries throughout the world and uh, I, I served in a hundred and seventy seven different countries and uh, most of those as an uninvited guest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what, what year was that that you were drafted? I was drafted in uh, 1956. And when, when, did you, um, when did you learn that, uh, that you were going to deploy to Vietnam? In uh, 1963. So you had, you had a decent amount of time in the Army before, uh, before that, deploying? That's correct. I was in the Army about five years prior to yeah. uh, my deployment. My first deployment into Vietnam was in uh, February 1963. And I was uh, deployed in Vietnam at that time period uh, with special forces, but in civilian clothes. And uh, the reason I bring this up is that uh, once I arrived in the country, the military decided that I needed international driver's license. Well, they sent me down at that time period down to Saigon and uh, uh, issued me an international driver's license, photographed me, and I like, really, I really needed this. But uh, two days later, I made a parachute jump into a mountain yard village in the Vietnam, and uh, the only uh, international driver's license I needed for that was to drive two of World War II deuce and a half trucks. And uh, the village chief had a, a, a pony. So that was the international driver's license. The reason I bring this up, uh, nine years and uh, 19 body wounds later in that country, this photograph shown up with the North Vietnamese offering so much for me dead or alive. So they asked me, would you like to go back to Vietnam today? No, I don't think so. That warranty may still be uh, valid. Yeah, you don't hope no one's still trying to cash that in, huh? Um, tell me, uh, before we talk about your experiences, uh, a question that I always ask veterans is, tell, tell me about a close friend or a great leader that you had while you were in the military. Well, I'll tell you what, I have some of the greatest uh, leaders that uh, of the time, and uh, one, uh, one I guess probably uh, stands up uh, is uh, 
uh, Colonel Facey. He was a uh, three-war man, and a, uh, eventually the deputy commander of all special forces. And I retired, uh, like he said, he was a PFC in, uh, in the Battle of Bulge in World War II, and a, a senior colonel in uh, Vietnam. So this is uh, the type of uh, leader that he was. And what, what did you, what, what makes you feel, uh, what made him a great leader? What did you learn uh, from him? That uh, I think, uh, number one, that uh, uh, the way that he handled his people. I can never get the name of that, um, that, 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 Ashal? Ashal, yes. Ashal. You were fighting for 38 hours? I uh, was in a battle there in Ashal. This was in my second tour. Yeah. There. And uh, this was in 65, 66. I spent uh, a year and uh, was assigned uh, to the uh, Special Forces Camp in the Ashal Valley. And that was a major infiltration route for North Vietnamese coming into the, the country. Yeah. And uh, in the, uh, we were uh, uh, attacked by a large North Vietnamese regular force and uh, division size unit and had a special forces camp there. We were in a uh, battle. We had uh, uh, 17 special forces personnel there with about uh, 200, with about 400 indigenous and uh, all of the uh, 17 special forces were wounded, most of, it, most of us multi-wounded, and unfortunately five paid the ultimate price either with their life for that in that battle. And uh, after uh, 38 hours, we were ordered to evacuate the camp, that they were going to attempt a helicopter rescue. And uh, I, I understand that they put 18 helicopters in the air to uh, to uh, attempt a rescue with us, and only eight made it. Ten were ever shot down. In this. And uh, I was uh, myself in the executive officer. Went back into the camp when the helicopters landed outside the camp, and uh, myself and the executive officer went back into the camp to get a wounded. An American that was on a stretcher, and uh, when we come out, we didn't have a ride, so we had to uh, hit the jungle, and uh, the uh, North Vietnamese were chasing us uh, in the jungle, and uh, we, I was fortunate enough at this time period uh, to uh, make contact with a helicopter. And uh, the way that I did this, I happened to have a weapon that today might not have been a really uh, lawful weapon, but I had a sawed-off shotgun and uh, had the barrel sawed off and uh, the uh, handle sawed off. So it was closer to being a pistol that would fire a double-off buck. And I took this... Uh, shotgun, used this shotgun for an antenna to my little uh, uh, HT1 radio, which the antenna had been shot off of it, 
stood in water, utilized this weapon for makeshift antenna, talked with a helicopter. The helicopter come in, they do pick us up. They shot the helicopter down. So uh, there was two of the crew members injured in the crash, and uh, that's all they could lift out on strings. They lifted those out, so we had to go again. And uh, the only thing that was nice about this was that there was uh, two members uh, of the uh, helicopter that was on the ground with us at that time and fresh. Now keep in mind we had been in a we had been in a uh, battle for 38 hours, and we had been uh, the the, the uh, uh, North Vietnamese had been chasing us better than 40 hours at this time period. So uh, at this time, uh, they uh, we were in, in contact and. Uh, had to run again, and the North Vietnamese uh, had a, we were, keep in mind we were in a triple canopy jungle, highest mountainous area. The North Vietnamese uh, soldiers had us surrounded, and all at once I started hearing a noise, then some eyes, and uh, the North, there was a about a 400-pound Indonesian tiger that had stalked us. This tiger had been feeding off of the dead bodies, and uh, the uh, North Vietnamese soldiers were more afraid of the tiger than they were us. They backed off, and we had room to get away. And uh, fortunately, uh, that uh, tiger, uh, uh, in my opinion, saved our life. And the next day, uh, the weather broke to such a point that the helicopters could come in and pick us up. Yeah. So with that, uh, with that, I uh, was uh, able to uh, uh, survive that. I, uh, uh, thankfully, uh, my wounds were not that bad, but I, they said I was, uh, they had uh, treated me for 18 different body wounds from that contact. Well, and then, like I said, they, this uh, short period of time, I had a, uh, right after that, I had to uh, uh, spend a little bit of time on the hospital ship, and uh, then uh, I had a duty of going around and, and uh, paying uh, and some of the uh, indigenous personnel that had been killed and making the... Uh, uh, payments uh, to the uh, next of kin to some of those, and this created a, this created just a little bit of a problem for us. But after that was over, then I was in another site doing the same thing again and finished up that year's tour. Then uh, come back, come back to the states, and uh, they. Military, the Army decided that I needed to be back again in uh, Vietnam, and I was sent again in 70 and uh, 71. And this year I spent another year with the Army Special Forces, but I happened to be in a organization at that period of time that didn't exist. This was a 
organization called the Studies and Observation Group, which was a top secret organization and uh, had, was uh, not declassified any for uh, 40 something years after this. Wow. So, and like I said, I was fortunate enough uh, to uh, spend a year with that organization and survived it. And then when it come out of that, I was, uh, they decided then that they were going to uh, promote me and I was uh, uh, rapidly promoted to a uh, uh, sergeant major. And uh, then uh, uh, from that, uh, from the secondary zone to a command sergeant major and uh, uh, went, uh, during that period of time, I was uh, running special ops throughout the world, and uh, uh, most of those was so classified I still can't talk about what they were doing. Wow. What, um, so how much time is there between uh, getting back from your third, de third deployment and getting out of the military? That, uh, that was, uh, he, I retired out of the military in 1978, and let's see, I came out of there in about 72, so about six years yeah. that I was working. What, um, you know, we, we recognize as a nation that there wasn't uh, a better reception for Vietnam veterans coming back home, and the, the care wasn't uh, where, where it is now on how we're receiving Iraq and well, Afghanistan veterans. There's uh, there's still some uh, talk uh, that uh, this is uh, uh, they're trying to uh, correct some of this. Mm -hmm. But uh, a good example, I arrived back in the country uh, on uh, my uh, second trip coming out of Vietnam, coming back into the country, arrived on the west coast and was going from uh, the uh, military airport to the civilian airport, and the civilians threw garbage at the, the bus that we were on, yeah. this type of thing. No, uh, we don't want to see that happen anymore, and that's one reason today that I travel all over the country speaking and this type of thing to uh, uh, hopefully help prevent some of this from happening. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, uh, I'm not sure how uh, how this is working today with the Veterans Affairs, but uh, uh, at uh, that time frame, uh, the Veterans Affairs uh, seemed to be uh, very similar to the civilian population. In other words, uh, they uh, didn't seem to be uh, really uh, supporting the veterans like, in my opinion, they should have. Yeah. What what about the what about the army itself? Did the army do anything to how did um, when you got back was it just business as usual no, or no, they would uh, when we got back uh, it's whatever the army uh, wanted us to do and sure. uh, I can't speak for uh, uh, the uh, all of the army because like I said I was in a uh, I was in a specialized unit mm -hmm. and a specialized unit uh, did take care of us yes. So when you um, when you were retiring, did you have a did you have a plan for life after retirement? Yes, I did. Uh, so my uh, plan for life uh, after retirement uh, 
was uh, based upon uh, uh, several things. Number one, I decided to uh, complete my formal education. And I did this, I finished a bachelor's degree, then two master's degrees, and did some post-master's work. And eventually the university awarded me a doctorate degree. Wow. So uh, with that, uh, with that, the, uh, yes, that this uh, uh, made life better. And then I uh, went to work as uh, operating my own business even to the point of uh, that time period when I le le uh, was uh, terminating my service in the military, it became very obvious that uh, you didn't even want to let anyone know that you were a former military. So I operated business and uh, uh, I didn't uh, let anybody know I'd been military. This what? become very obvious that you this was the uh, majority of the population was uh, opposed to uh, anyone that had been military because they uh, thought with, we were uh, the, one of the major reasons of, of uh, the dissatisfaction. So when, when did you start telling people that you were a veteran and what, and what made you feel comfortable with doing that again? I, I would say uh, this was probably uh, forty or fifty years after after uh, retirement. Wow! And what in what was it that made you feel comfortable with that again? Uh, there a little bit change in the attitude of the individuals, seeing uh, uh, many uh, many local communities at that time period were saying, "Hey, let's." Uh, uh, let, let's, let's now support and uh, thank the Vietnam veterans yeah. for this. And when, um, you know, my, my generation um, owes your generation a lot of, uh, a lot of credit for how well received, how well received we are. Um, it was Vietnam veterans that were first going to the airport when uh, service members were returning from Iraq back in 2003, 2004. Um, I think so. Yeah, and um, can you, you know, you touched on a little bit, but maybe speak a little bit more on the evolution that you've seen in the recognition that okay, service the, members uh, are getting. What, I, what I've seen with this is, uh, I would say that it's been a, uh, the general attitude and a lot of this attitude has based upon the fact that uh, we're probably seeing a different uh, political elements that uh, was uh, taking over the country. And you're seeing uh, that uh, uh, the, the country then was wanting to go back and uh, support the Vietnam veterans rather than uh, chastise the Vietnam veterans. Yeah. So the um, the people watching can see, but the people only listening can't see the uh, medal that's hanging around your neck with the blue ribbon. Uh, in 2014, you were awarded the the Medal of Honor for your actions in Vietnam. Um, previously, shortly after your deployment, you were 
submitted for a Medal of Honor but awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. That's, that is correct. When were you aware that people were moving forward trying to get the Medal of Honor? I knew for that it, uh, there was some work going on with this and uh, one thing, uh, uh, the uh, commander of the uh, Ash Out camp that I was in uh, wouldn't give up on it. And uh, at that time period, he was a young captain and he retired as a uh, senior colonel and uh, continued to, to, to support this all the way through. And uh, like I said, it was uh, uh, a lot of people working on it, uh, some that I did, wasn't aware of. And uh, I, uh, be honest with you, they had to change the law yeah. to uh, award it. Me. Yeah. Do you? How, were you surprised when you got the call from the president saying you'd been awarded? Absolutely. Uh, after uh, 48 years, uh, one day I received a call first from the Pentagon and said that at a certain time there would be a high government official call me. Well, this high government at that time period, the high government official happened to be the president of the United States, and the president said that he had approved the Medal of Honor for me. And uh, that uh, they, they would, uh, he wanted to uh, me to keep this quiet until it was notified. The, until uh, they was notified from the Pentagon that this happened. So uh, this, uh, this this is uh, what uh, really happened with this. And I'll tell you what was uh, so. From that time period on, uh, like I said, uh, my life has changed to such a point. Not only the fact that I'm just uh, one of a, of a small number of, of, where, of live that wears this. Uh, today, for instance, there's 72 living Medal of Honor recipients. And that time period from World War II to now, there's been better than 30 million have served this country with honor. And so with that, I feel like now that it is, uh, it is my duty uh, to uh, travel, to speak, and to support. And uh, I'm doing this in several different ways. One is that uh, the, uh, I would say uh, the helping veterans uh, transition from the military to civilian life, and this is something that I found in my time frame that was very difficult, was the transition period. And uh, so I think now I'm uh, doing this through uh, scholarships, and this is through my uh, foundation. I have a nonprofit, uh, 501c3 nonprofit type of organization. And we're doing scholarships, and it looks like this year we may uh, we may be able to do as many as uh, 25 scholarships. It's amazing. And um, the board that that's uh, 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 doing this with is uh, probably uh, going. And uh, what they're working at the present time with this is that they're going with the Special Forces Enlisted. And the reason behind this is, number one, that was what I, I was Special Forces Enlisted, 
And the, the second thing behind this is that uh, uh, at the present time, our special forces have been in combat for 17, 18, 19 years. Most of them uh, uh, on many tours. And uh, so uh, hoping the uh, scholarships will help them transition to civilian life and uh, can make a uh, quality life for them after, after military. How has, um, you know, thinking about how you viewed your service up until 2000, you know, 2014, how did, how did receiving the Medal of Honor, uh, or did it change the way you perceived or the way that you viewed your military service? No, not, uh, not so much the way that uh, my military service was, but I will say uh, it has uh, uh, perceived the way that I am received and uh, by uh, other elements of our government today. Hmm. And this probably more so than any. Uh, and a good example is uh, you really wouldn't be interested in what I'm saying if I wasn't wearing a medal. I personally would. <laughs> uh, I personally would, um, but I do understand yes. that that point. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's definitely, um, you know, in one, you know, I was not in in combat. I served in the in the yeah. Marine Corps for five years, and I ran around guarding embassies and stuff. But I never yes. saw combat or anything. Right. And I've realized that if if I didn't have that that fun story about guarding embassies, that my five years of service would lay flat on deaf ears. You know that yes. that, uh, yes. um, and I know that you know when we talk about one percent of America serves, and then one percent of that goes to goes to war. You know, or yes. the, the small percentage of that that goes to war. Um, you know, there's a lot of veterans out there that don't get an opportunity to talk about the sacrifices and the selfless acts that they got to make, uh, whether it was in combat or not. So uh, I can, I definitely can see that that uh, that it almost, um, it almost qualified your service in the eyes of a lot of people of of, of being noteworthy, right? Um, and that's that's definitely not what we're trying to do when we recognize people's service and their uh, and their actions, because the distinguished service cross is not, is not, it takes quite a bit to get one of those as well. You know, have you learned anything about about your service the more you, the more you talk talk, talk about it? Um, I guess um, have you found yourself remembering? Details that maybe you hadn't thought about in a while. I mean, I'm sure this goes. There's uh, no doubt, no doubt, yes. And uh, this is uh, uh, being portrayed uh, uh, in my book. And uh, like I said, uh, the book required about two and a half years uh, to prepare. And uh, what I, what I'm doing with the proceeds of the book is uh, proceeds of the book is going into my foundation. And uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, the uh, book was, uh, I required it to be accurate, and uh, everything in it was to be truthful, and to the point that all of the other Americans that were living were interviewed and had an input into this to be sure that we had the facts correct. And uh, this is uh, the book uh, now that uh, uh, we hap I happen to uh, 
decide that it should be the tiger among us. I feel like that tiger saved my life, and uh, like I said, the proceeds of the book is is going into going into the foundation, and the foundation will uh, uh, do uh, do scholarships, and the scholarships are going initially to the special forces soldiers that are. Uh, transitioning from service. Yeah, um, I'm sure you've told your story many times, uh, especially since 2014. Uh, you know, what uh, What was it like doing a long form version of, of telling your story through through this book? Uh, it, uh, uh, many, many settings with a, uh, co-author who uh, uh, a, a journalist that uh, helped me uh, get the uh, uh, a lot of the words uh, correct and so forth is the way that I'd like to have the book to uh, portray so uh, like I said it was uh, it was something that uh, an experience I think everyone should go at least one time sure. You, uh, so you mentioned your foundation does scholarships, and you yourself got a bachelor's, couple of masters, couple postgraduate degrees, and a doctorate. Yes. Why, why is education so important to you? Why do you find that to be a priority in veterans' lives? Well, uh, number one, I'll be honest with you, in the military, uh, without uh, those degrees, I work with people that was better qualified than they were, and uh, so the uh, the education was uh, the key to uh, the the uh, military, and uh, that's uh, something that is uh, very truthful today. And also uh, to the point that I uh, have, uh, have two living sons now. Uh, my oldest son is a doctor in theology and a doctor in ministry, and is a minister. Uh, my youngest son is a, uh, is a, a, a medical doctor and uh, with a Ph.D. also, M.D. and Ph.D. So, uh, and I uh, have a daughter that uh, has some graduate uh, work. So with this, uh, I've decided, press, uh, expressed all the way through that uh, my family uh, uh, needed uh, the formal education. Sure. Um. I, I, I appreciate your time. I, I think we've gotten through uh, what I've wanted to, to talk with you with. Is there, uh, is there anything that we haven't touched on regarding your service, the medal, the book, that uh, you want to make sure uh, the audience knows about? Yes, I think, uh, I think uh, the major part of my service, uh, uh, so much of it I can't talk about even today. So uh, it's uh, something that... Uh, uh, I wouldn't take far, but I, I can't talk about what I did and where I did it. This type of thing with so many of the operations that I run with, with special forces throughout, throughout the world. Has it been difficult to, to live with? No, it no? has not. Okay, it has not. Right. Well, that answers that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, I do appreciate your time. Thank you for your service to our country, of course, and, and welcome home. Thank you. Appreciate you.
I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Big thanks to Benny for joining me and sharing his story. Uh, the part about the tiger is is uh, is truly amazing. Uh, I just finished his book. Um, is a really great read, and uh, I recommend for anybody who enjoys uh, military history, uh, especially as it comes to the Vietnam War and, and, and stories like that. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Benny Adkins. I figured that would be appropriate. Service, of course, is U.S. Army. Division was Detachment ATAC 102, 5th Special Forces Group Airborne, 1st Special Forces. Conflict is the Vietnam War. Year of Honor is 1966. Citation reads, Sergeant First Class Benny G. Adkins distinguished himself by acts of gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty while serving as an intelligence sergeant with Detachment ATAC 102, 5th Special Forces Group, 1st Special Forces during combat operations against an armed enemy at Camp Peshaw, Republic of Vietnam from March 9 to March 12, 1966. When the camp was attacked by a large North Vietnamese and Viet Cong force in the early morning hours, Sergeant First Class Adkins rushed through intense enemy fire and manned a mortar position, continually adjusting fire for the camp. Despite incurring wounds as the martyr pit received several direct hits from enemy mortars. Upon learning that several soldiers were wounded near the center of the camp, he temporarily turned the mortar over to another soldier ran through the exploding mortar rounds and dragged several comrades to safety. As the hostile fire subsided, Sergeant First Class Adkins exposed himself to sporadic sniper fire while carrying his wounded comrades to the camp dispensary. When Sergeant First Class Adkins and his group of defenders came under heavy small arms fire from members of civilian irregular defense group that had defected to fight with the North Vietnamese, he maneuvered outside the camp to evacuate a seriously wounded American and draw fire, all the while successfully recovering the rescue. When a resupply airdrop landed outside of the camp perimeter, Sergeant First Class Adkins again moved outside of the camp walls to retrieve the much-needed supplies. During the early morning hours of March 10, 1966, enemy forces launched their main attack and within two hours, Sergeant First Class was the only man firing a mortar weapon. When all mortar rounds were expended, Sergeant First Class Adkins began placing effective recoilless rifle fire upon enemy positions. Despite receiving additional wounds from enemy rounds exploding on his position, Sergeant First Class Adkins fought off intense waves of attacking Viet Cong. Sergeant First Class Adkins eliminated numerous insurgents with small arms fire after withdrawing to a communications bunker with several soldiers. Running extremely low on ammunition, he returned to the mortar pit, gathered vital ammunition, and ran through the intense fire back to the bunker. 
After being ordered to evacuate the camp, Sergeant First Class Adkins and a small group of soldiers destroyed all signal equipment and classified documents, dug their way out of the rear of the bunker, and fought their way out of the camp. While carrying a wounded soldier to the extraction point, he learned that the last helicopter had already departed. Sergeant First Class Adkins led the group while evading the enemy until they were rescued by helicopter on March 12, 1966. During the 38-hour battle and 48 hours of escape and evasion, fighting with mortars, machine guns, recoilless rifles, small arms, and hand grenades, it was estimated that Sergeant First Class Adkins killed between 135 and 175 of the enemy while sustaining 18 different wounds onto his body. Sergeant First Class Adkins' extraordinary heroism and selflessness above and beyond the call of duty are in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, Detachment ATAC 102, 5th, 5th Special Forces Group, 1st Special Forces, and the United States Army. We thank him for his service. If you're interested in Medal of Honor citations as I am, I, I re- reference all of my Medal of Honor citations from themedalofhonor.com. That wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there's a lot of options out there for entertainment. I do appreciate you spending your time here with me. This week, we got to hear from a Medal of Honor recipient, which is just so fantastic. These are the veterans where the word hero truly applies, and it was a privilege to talk to Mr. Adkins. Follow us on Instagram at D-E-P-T Vet Affairs for more images from our community. I am Timothy Lawson, signing off.